Um, good morning. My name is Chad. I am one of the pastors at Bethel Bible. Now, I want to start off this morning with uh, an admission of sorts. Uh, growing up, I had pastors who seemed to be duly talented, meaning they could, they could lead worship and then they could preach the sermon. I am not one of those pastors. I can barely play the guitar, maybe a few chords. I can't sing worth a lick, but that doesn't keep me from praising the Lord loudly, uh, as uh, you will experience if you ever sit nearby me. Uh, that's just how God made me, but in the sixth grade, I decided to join the middle school band. I went to a small middle school. Everybody pretty much in the whole middle school was in this band, and I played the saxophone. Why? Well, that's what my big brother played, so what else am I going to play? He set the tone. I followed his example. I played the saxophone. And I'll never forget the first time our band all played together. It sounded like wailing dogs and screeching cats. It was terrible. It was utter chaos. It was certainly not good or beautiful. But after a while, as each of us put our work in at home, practicing our instrument individually, as we came together and practiced as a group, and as we learned that it's probably wise to follow the instruction of the band director, we began to see changes. After a while, we began to create something bigger than any one individual could make. We made music. And to our little sixth grade ears, it was good and it was beautiful. Now what we see here is that as we make these choices to follow the lead of another, to put the work in necessary individually, and to come together and work at it together, something good, something beautiful will come of it, something bigger than yourself. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our study in Galatians, and if you're a guest here, we just go through one book at a time, usually a passage at a time, and we're going to zero in on the individual believer's part, the individual believer's part to put on Christ-like character in two interpersonal spheres or arenas, the one being the home and the other being the workplace. And in doing this, we are going to ask this question, how do we as Christians, those who have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, how do we display Christ-likeness in those two spheres, in the home and in the workplace. Our text this morning is Galatians 3. We're going to be working from verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to divide our sermon into to two chunks, if you will, the home and the workplace. So would you read with me, follow along as I read verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, 
Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, our first chunk, if you will, is the home. And what we're seeing here is Paul identifies uh, several different roles or facets of the home life, the wives, the husbands, the children, and the fathers or the parents. And what we see is he gives one to two commands for each of these roles. And I want you to see these commands more as Christ-like character traits that we are to put on. In verse 18, we're going to just look at these commands uh, as an overview. Wives, in verse 18, are to submit. Verse 19, husbands are to love. They are to not be harsh. Verse 20, children are to obey. And then in verse 21, fathers do not provoke. So those are the roles and the commands or the Christ-like traits we are to put on. Now, before we look at each of these specifics, what I want to do is I want to take a step back, and I want to ground this passage, what Paul is telling us here, in something bigger than this immediate context. I want to ground it in God's creation of all things. So, in Genesis 1 and 2, particularly in uh, Genesis 1, uh, what's the state of the earth before God begins creating? We see it's one of total chaos. It's lifeless chaos. The, the description is it's without form, it's void, and it's covered in darkness. That's a picture of lifeless chaos, the absence of order, the absence of life a picture would be a, a pile of uh, puzzle pieces all jumbled together. And what we see is for the next six days, God puts those pieces together, bringing order into chaos. God said, let there be, and there was. God separated. God filled it with life. And God declared it what? Good. It was good. When God declares it good, he means this is now conducive for life. This environment promotes life, whereas chaos does not order, does. So on the sixth day, interestingly enough, after he created Adam in, in Genesis 2, he did not declare Adam to be good as alone. Why? Adam without Eve was like the puzzle missing the final 
peace. That final peace is very, very important. Only once that final peace was placed is the artist's image clearly displayed. The image of God is displayed through man and woman, through the unity and diversity we see with humanity. Specifically, in the context of Genesis, Adam was not able to fulfill the mandate to rule the world as God's image bearer. To do that required that he fill the world with God's image bearer's children, and he could not do that alone. So with that, woman is man's corresponding companion. Corresponding companion. One who is equal in value, yet distinct in her role. Her role, again, in the context of Genesis, was to supply what man was lacking. And that's still true today. To supply what man was lacking. Now, I recognize not everyone is married, so please hear me. Um, Our full scope of understanding Genesis 2, uh, bearing God's image, uh, ruling, it comes to its fuller maturity in the church, in Christ, in the family of God. It's not about being married or single that counts. What counts is being either outside the family of God or inside the family of God, inside Christ. And if you've trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, then you are in Christ. You are in the family of God. You are a part of a community that is displaying Christ. And I also want to encourage you that we need everyone, whether you're married or single, we need you to contribute what God has gifted you so that we can, as Bethel Bible Church here in Tyler, properly display Christ, witness who He is to our community. So the takeaway for what I've just laid out here from Genesis 1 and 2 that I want you to, to grab hold of as we, as we go through these individual commands, these Christ-like character traits we're to put on, it's this. God's creation is one of order and not chaos. It is order, not chaos, that is good. And to be good means promoting life. And God designed the family and society to be orderly, that we as people have distinct roles, and yet we are equal in terms of our value as people. So with this lens, let's look now at these commands, beginning in verse 18, with this word, submit. Now, this word has caused a lot of confusion and pain. The Holy Spirit through Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands. But what does that mean? It means the wife, by recognizing God's good order of the family, voluntarily places herself under the leadership of her husband. It's the husband who is the head of the family and not the wife, and that's how God ordered it, how he designed it for good purposes. 
Uh, please know that submission is not a word of subtraction. It's not, it's not God asking you to, to be less than you are. It's, it's a word of, of addition. You are adding life to the family. You are promoting life in the family when you choose to submit. Um, to put it another way, you're enabling your husband to do what God created him to do. When you follow his leadership, you are enabling him, empowering him, encouraging him to do what God created him to do for the good of you, for the good of your children. It's bringing out the best in him. It's making him whole in his function. He needs you. You are equal in value. And yet your distinct role is vital for him to fulfill his role. So men, what does it mean to lead our wives? This is not explicitly in the text. A facet of it is to, to love, to not be harsh. But what does it mean to lead? Let's, let's flesh this out a little bit. It primarily means this. We take the responsibility in the family to lead them to follow Christ you are leading them to follow Christ. We lead so that they can follow another Christ. So we set the tone for the family. Um, what's our family all about? Is it about Christ or is it about something else? The, the man sets the tone for that. And as I've mentioned, we are to lovingly serve our wives. This is vital. It does not mean, as I have said, that men are superior to women. That is not what it means. It simply means that you have distinct roles. And this is a reflection of the Godhead. God didn't just pull this out of thin air. The family is a reflection of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equal in deity. Yet it's the Father who sent the Son. Distinct roles and not the other way around. So the family, the order of the family is a reflection of our triune God. It displays who He is, who the Godhead is. Okay, so here's, here's my illustration. It's a sports illustration. Allow me to uh, explain this by way of the, the role of a captain on the team, Okay. Now, the captain makes decisions for the team, but that's only a small part of what he does. He also sets an example for what he wants his team to be about. He shows up to practice early, he works hard, he leaves, he leaves late. But he's also checking in on his team. He cares about them. He wants to know how they're doing, what he can do to help them improve. And he doesn't overlook dysfunction. The captain doesn't turn a blind eye to dysfunction on the team, nor does he expect someone else to deal with that. He takes that head on. And in the midst of this, it's the teammates who are voluntarily following his lead because they know it's for their good. So they encourage him, they empower him, they help bring out the best in him for the best of the team. But the captain is not more valuable than the team. 
He needs the team. There is no captain without the team. They fit together. And you know what happens if the captain strays from his role? The team has every right to shine light on the error of his ways. The team does not follow him blindly. And they do not let him veer off course if he forsakes his role. So look again at verse 18 as we, as we pair this with the wife following the lead of the husband. In verse 18, we see this qualifying statement. It's at the end. The wife is to submit to her husband as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. These are moral limits to a wife following the lead of her husband. She does not follow her husband into sinful behavior or sinful beliefs. You know what she is to do instead? Well, if we look back at one part of a verse from last week's sermon in verse 16, it won't pop up on, your, on the, the screen behind me, but it says, it says, to the community of Christians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The wife, if the husband is leading the family into sinful behavior or beliefs, is to gently explain to him how she sees his leading as being out of accord with Christ, out of accord with the Word of God. You see, the wife's first allegiance, all of our first allegiance, is to Christ. He is the husband of us, the church, the bride. And one more thing, husbands, this is, I think this helps put it in context too, what it means to lead. In many ways, your wife, if she's a Christian, she is more your sister in Christ than she is your earthly wife. One is temporary, the other is eternal. Okay, so now let's, let's focus our attention to the role of the husband loving the wife. In, in verse 19, we see husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's, that's two commands or two Christ-like characters husbands are to, to put on. To love means to recognize a need in your wife and be willing to meet that need of hers at great personal cost to yourself. It means giving up your wants to meet her needs, and it even means, at times, giving up your needs to meet her needs. This is self-sacrificial. This reflects Christ. And this is all within the context of you leading her your self-sacrifice is to lead her to follow Christ. All right, here's another illustration to demonstrate how these two Christ-like characters for the wife, submitting to the husband, loving, how they, how they work together, because they do. Um, if you've ever ridden a bike, you know that as one pedal goes, goes low, the other raises. And as the other pedal goes low, the other raises. 
And as you are in sync, going low and raising the other, going low and raising the other, the bike moves forward. That apart from those pedals, one going low so that the other might be raised up. In this case, the husband self-sacrificially loving his wife, meeting her needs, going low, denying himself. So much of marriage is about self-denial. The husband denies himself. He goes low. It raises the wife up. It meets her needs. And correspondingly, the wife denies herself. She follows the husband's lead. She goes low and raises the husband up. And as you do this, the bike moves forward. God has clearly designed the family with this order in mind for the good of the family. We see also in verse 19, husbands are commanded not to be harsh. To be harsh is a dictator's dominance. That is not who we are called to be. If she is a believer, she is your sister in Christ. If she's not a believer, she is an image bearer of God. You are not a dictator who's called to dominate. You are called to be gentle. You are to gently lead her in a dance, if you will, where Christ is the one who choreographs the dance. He's the choreographer. And you follow His lead. And as you follow His lead, you lead your wife to follow. And as you do that, you have a, a natural flow to things. And it's not perfect. We step on toes, don't we? Oh, goodness. Sometimes on accident, sometimes on purpose, we step on each other's toes. But Christ is there to get us back in step with one another. So that's, that's the husband, that's the wife. Let's look briefly at the role of children in the home. And in verse 20, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, we have some children here. Um, children often ask, why? Why do I need to obey you? I explained to them that the rules of the house are like, like a seatbelt. Yes, it might not be comfortable. You might not like it. It might make you hot. But it keeps you safe from unnecessary harm. The rules are for your good. And as you obey, this pleases the Lord. This is your, your role in the household. And it's valuable. Now, Paul tells us in verse 21... Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I'm a father. Um, the, the command is clearly uh, laid out. Obey your parents and everything, children. But how do they do in that? Uh, sometimes okay, sometimes not okay. Uh, and it's because they, they are lagging behind in the maturity that we are. We're adults. They're children. So I think oftentimes we expect more from them than they are able to at that point in time give. And so... We become angry, and fathers especially sometimes provoke their children. And Paul is cautioning us with that. And what he's saying by do not provoke is don't constantly criticize your child. Don't constantly criticize your child. Don't make unreasonable demands. Because if you do, what might happen is they will resent you. And they will no longer see you as a parent to trust, to learn from, to entrust themselves into. They'll see you as an adversary to challenge, to overcome. And that's chaos. 
So part of our, our role as parents is, is to not provoke. Instead, we are to see them as individual people with their own intellect, their own will, their own emotions. They are an image bearer of God. And if they are a Christian, they are your brother or sister in Christ. Okay, so this is the first aspect of the home. We've looked at husbands, wives. We've looked at parents and children. And we're going to look now at the second overall chunk of our sermon, the workplace, where many of us spend the majority of our time. So in the workplace, we see uh, Paul addressing that in verses 22 through 4, verse 1. And this is going to be more of an overview of what Paul expects from us here. Uh, and what we, what we can understand based on the creation account is that just as God has arranged the family to be ordered with distinct roles comprised of equally valuable people for the good of one another, so too he's arranged the workplace, which is a valuable aspect of society, to be comprised of distinct roles. And the way we're going to break it up is employees and employers. Now, I know that the text speaks of bond servants and masters. We are going to correlate that for today as employees and employers. And I'm going to provide basically one big takeaway for, for each of these, these groups this morning. Uh, for employees, uh, let's read verses 23 through 24. Whatever you do, employees, uh, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay, so that, that last phrase there, you are serving the Lord Christ. What that means is whatever job it is you have, Whatever it is God's called you to do, we work with genuine care and concern. Genuine care and concern because ultimately we are working to fulfill Christ's purposes for that job as it's an intricate part of society. And what that means is also every job is valuable. There's no such thing as a job as a job. Per God's creation, a job is a part of society. We are a part of society. Your job is for the good of us. It serves a valuable and distinct role. And the Lord has placed you in that job for His good purposes. And so we are to work with genuine care and concern as unto the Lord. Employers, Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants or employers, treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As an employer, what we see here is that you reap what you sow. Now that's true in this life, but it is certainly true at the judgment seat of Christ. You reap what you sow. To treat your employees with justice and fairness, 
means to treat each one with compassion and impartial care. You see them as image bearers. You see them as vital to society. And in doing so, as you, as you reap, as you sow this, it's not, uneasy, it's not unreasonable to expect that you will reap them actually being motivated to work with genuine care and concern. It's, it's just like the petals. It's the same thing. We are both called in this environment to go low because we're serving Christ and we're accountable to Christ and it's God's creation that we are a part of. No man is an island. Each of us serves a vital role. So putting all this together, how do Christians display Christ-likeness? We've looked at these individual commands, which I've encouraged you to see as character traits of Christ, as he's he's perfectly fulfilled these traits. How do we display Christ-likeness in the family and in the workplace? We do our part, whatever it is, as unto the Lord. We do our part, whatever it is, in the home, wife, husband, parent, child. We do our part as unto the Lord. In the workplace, employer, employee, whatever your part is, you do it as unto the Lord. Now, our passage this morning is a total of nine verses. In these nine verses, do you know how many times the Lord Christ is explicitly mentioned? Seven times. Seven times Paul references Jesus in this very short passage about the home and the workplace. The point is is that everything we do, everything, is because of Christ, is for Christ, is to be in accord with with Christ, is to please Christ. Christ is at the center of our lives as believers in Him, but the center of all of our relationships. And we are to put Him in His proper place through our Christ-like character in each of these roles. So, here's what I encourage you to do. Every once in a while, I encourage you to ask yourself, ask a Christian brother or sister you trust, um, ask God. When you look at me in this role, do you see Jesus? Do you see his character traits? When you look at me as a, as a father, as a, as a mother, as a husband, a wife, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, an employer, an employee, when you you look at me in that role, am I displaying Christ-likeness? That's what God intends for the home, for society, for our good, to promote life. So friends, what we see here is God is the designer. All of creation. We've looked at two facets. The home, the workplace, and we've talked about the church as well. He's the designer, and at the center of it all is Christ. He's the center. And 
Returning to my opening illustration, at the center, he is the, the metaphorical director, if you will. And each of us have a role, have a part to play, a very significant part that's unique to you, a part that when you contribute, when you follow the leading of the director of Christ, we make something beautiful, something good, something that benefits one another and that glorifies God. Would you pray with me? Father, it's through your Son we come to you in prayer. And we praise you as your children, that you as the good designer are in fact careful to make things in such a way, to order things in such a way, to promote life for our good and your glory. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, lead us as we seek to put on these Christ-like traits. Teach us, our God. I pray that you would fill Bethel Bible by your Spirit in such a way that we would encourage one another as we pursue this lifestyle of putting Christ at the center of everything. We entrust ourselves to you because you're trustworthy and you love us. And we thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.